Thank you very much. Uh, if you Google uh, the topic of abortion, you will find, as you will find in the Jewish encyclopedias where the topic is discussed, that uh, printed in Swarm there are three different opinions. One opinion is that abortion is always permissible. One opinion is that it's rabbinically prohibited. And the third opinion is that it's a biblical prohibition. Uh, the first two opinions are incorrect. People wrote books. People wrote Swarm. Not everybody who wrote a Sefer was uh, so learned. It's beferish in the Gemara that it's a biblical prohibition. The only rule for negotiation is what exactly is the prohibition? Is it considered a violation of Ritzicha, that uh, it's equivalent to murder? The din is that one kills a fetus, the Mishnah says they're not chayv misa, but it could be that it's still an isa is loisirtzach, and that seems to be the Ramam's opinion. The Ramam writes that the only time a woman is permitted to perform an abortion, to have an abortion, is if her life is in danger. We consider the fetus as a rodef. That's the Rambam's opinion. And the other Rishonim seem not to agree with the Rambam. They seem to be of the uh, understanding that the prohibition is chavola. Let's say a person decides to mutilate his body. He cuts off a finger, he cuts off a leg, he cuts off an arm. That's also, we say in the Slichas, our body belongs to God and our soul belongs to God. We're not allowed to commit suicide. We're not allowed to, we're not allowed to harm our body. So it's an Isa Chavala. It's not at all an Isa Ritzicha. If the prohibition is an Isa Chavala, because also Laudem Lachbo Biatzmo, so then you don't have to have Dafke Rodef. You don't need that the, that the life of the mother should be endangered. Whenever it would be medically recommended to perform an abortion, let's say a woman is pregnant with a, a fetus and the doctor is now in advance that it's going to be a very sick child is going to cause a lot of aggravation. So uh, according to the opinion of, of all of the other, the other commentaries, aside from the Rambam, uh, there would be room to permit an abortion in such a situation. One of the G'daylam in Europe wrote in his Chuvas that he's not so convinced that the Rambam is, always feels that the, uh, that the prohibition is Ritzicha. The Rambam happens to be talking about a woman who's in labor, so he said, if the woman is a labor, then we treat the fetus as if it's an independent uh, life. And then he says that it's an Isa Ritzicha. But if the woman is not in labor, he thinks maybe the Raman would agree that the prohibition is only Chavola. Or maybe that's not so accurate. It's unclear in the Raman. He doesn't say at what point does it become an Isa Ritzicha. So uh, another possibility that he raises is maybe the Raman only said that it's an Isa Ritzicha if the baby is full term already, means that the pregnancy already entered into the beginning of the ninth month. You had eight full months, and it entered into the ninth month. So then the baby would be viable even without an incubator. So then perhaps it's considered Nesavitzich, but before the ninth month, maybe even the Ramam would agree. So this is a big machlik. So Rabbi Moshe Feinstein uh, is of the opinion that uh, we have to be machmer like the Ramam's opinion, we should only permit abortion when the mother's life is in danger. And usually, let's say when, uh, when we discuss whether one is permitted to eat on Yom Kippur, if a person is uh, very seriously sick, we permit people to eat on Yom Kippur if there's a suffix, pikuach nefesh, or svexveke, or pikuach nefesh, or slight suffix. But over here, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein thinks the only, the only reason why the Rambam understands the Gemara, we permit the abortion, is because we consider the fetus as, an, as a rodef, 
to the mother, so that's only if it's vadai rodev, a korev lavadai rodev. That part of Ramosha Feinstein's psak, I think, even those who follow Ramosha Feinstein, I don't think they follow that part of the psak. They think that whatever there's a suffix, sakana to the mother's life, they make already. But uh, Ramosha Feinstein was very machmer on this. Um, one should have said that even if you think the Ramam's opinion is that it's a prohibition of Ritzicha, even before the ninth month, even before the woman is in labor, it's an Isra Ritzicha, so one should have argued the point and said this is only if the woman is already pregnant 40 days. The Gemara says before uh, 40 days, when the fetus is about 43, 44 days old, then it begins to have a shape. It's only an inch by an inch. It's a tiny little thing. So uh, it begins to have the shape of, uh, of, uh, of a human being, tiny shape of a human being. Um, so the Gemara says before that point, let's say if a woman loses, a woman has a miscarriage. So if it's before 40 days, that's not considered um, a leda. If it's after 40 days, then it's considered a leda, and the woman would be obligated to bring the special korbanas that it says in the Torah. The Torah says, uh, my wife had nine babies, so when the Beis Amigdash will be built, my wife will be obligated to bring nine sets of korbanas. So the Mishnah says, even if a woman had a miscarriage, if the miscarriage was after 40 days, uh, even though there's nothing to be happy about, she, she doesn't have a live baby still, if it's after 40 days, then the fetus is considered a uh, vlad, and you have to bring this set of korbanas. So some have argued the point and said, even if you want to be the biggest machmer, it only makes sense if the, if the pregnancy was 40 days, 43, 44 days, about there. But before 40 days, it shouldn't be an Isra Rabritzich at all. Everyone should agree that it's only an Isra Chavola. So Moshe Feinstein doesn't agree with that either. He's even machmer within the 40 days. And he gives a whole, he presents a whole argument that certainly has um, value. <coughs> so this issue is a very serious issue. We're dealing with an Isa der Isa, possible an Isa der Isa. And uh, before one proceeds in one direction or the other, you have to consult your local Orthodox rabbi, and uh, you have to discuss it with, uh, with um, extreme sensitivity. We live in a generation that uh, people have come to the realization, the doctors have come to the realization that sometimes couples are living together, they have no children, uh, because the husband is not fertile. It's not always uh, the chisarn with the wife. Half the time it's with the wife, half the time with the husband. So uh, there was a big debate years ago, 70 years ago. There was a big 60, 70 years ago. There was a big machloikas. Is a married woman permitted to have artificial insemination from someone other than her husband? So the Satma Rebbe was a very learned person. He had different opinions about Zionism that uh, we don't share with him. But he was a very learned person. He disagreed with Ramosha Feinstein on this issue. So Ramosha Feinstein felt... In extreme situations, we would permit the woman to have artificial dissemination even from someone other than her husband, and the Satma Rebbe felt that it wasn't permissible. So the opinion, the generally accepted opinion by most of the Rabbanim that we associate with is, like Amosha Feinstein, that one does permit it. Rabbi Salavechi used to, when he used to speak in public on the topic, he used to say he does not, he's not sure what the din is, whether it's permissible to have artificial dissemination. And he's not sure if you have artificial insemination from someone other than a husband, whether the child will be a mamzer or not. He wasn't so sure about the whole topic. 
And then when Rabbi Moshe Feinstein printed his tshuva, the Rabbi Salvechik said to the students, let's not discuss the matter, let's follow Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, we'll leave it at that. That is permissible and the child is not a mamzer. But Rabbanim who lived a hundred years ago, when they were talking about artificial insemination, some of the G'dayla Madan, Rabbi Yosef Engel and others, thought, based on sources in the Gemara, legitimate sources, that the child would be a mamzer. They were not so thrilled. If the donor, if the donor uh, of the semen is not Jewish, so then of course the child will not be a mamzer. That's not a question because the Gemara has it in that if a woman, a married woman has an affair with someone other than her husband, the child will be a mamzer only if the man is Jewish. The man is not Jewish. The Gemara gives a whole explanation why the child will not be a mamzer. So if the donor of the zera is not Jewish, so that problem is solved, the child will not be a man. The question is, is it permissible or not? So we accept Rav Moshe Feinstein's opinion. It is permissible, but it's a, in a big shas hatrak. And one should certainly consult with their local Orthodox rabbi. Not every local Orthodox rabbi will want to take a stand on this. So some of them will consult with other rabbis before they take a stand. Sometimes we have situations where the husband is fertile, but they can't have babies unless they have uh, assistance from a doctor. So you do artificial insemination from the husband to his own wife. No one's going to say that that's prohibited, but there is a question whether the children are messiahs after the father because the woman became pregnant in an irregular fashion. So the question is, let's say, if the father is a Kohen and, uh, and he has children from his own wife with artificial insemination, are the children Kohanim? Can they do Can they get, can they do Pidyan Aben and so on? So this is also a big, it was a big dispute. And uh, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Oyabach was um, always involved in all of the uh, medical issues that came up for years before everybody was working on them. And he was of the opinion that the children are Kohanim. He was of the opinion that the children are Mesachas after the father. But not everybody agrees. So this is also a, a sensitive issue. Uh, that you have to, before you do any artificial dissemination, whether from the husband or from someone else, uh, you should really discuss seriously with your local Orthodox rabbi at length. Sometimes couples marry and they don't realize that they're both carriers of the same disease and they're going to have a certain percentage of their babies are going to be balimumin. So uh, now they have a way to to test the fetus to see whether uh, whether it has this sickness that they're concerned about. So if uh, if the woman is already pregnant with the sick child, so you have tzara, so you have a question whether you're permitted to perform uh, the abortion or not. So what they do is they practice birth control. You have to discuss it with your rabbi. They practice birth control until they're prepared to become pregnant, and then they do artificial insemination. And then after they have this uh, fetus, before they put it into the body of the woman, they can test it already, whether there are any uh, major sicknesses. And then if it turns out that this child is going to be a very sick child, then there's no child of abortion. The, the, the fetus where it is now is in a freezer. It's not inside the woman's body. The Catholic Church considers that also abortion. They consider that also retzichah. But the Rabbanim do not agree with the Catholic Church on this issue, as well as several other major issues. And we don't consider that Ritzicha at all. That's, it's not in the woman's body. That's not an abortion. But it's a, it's a big tikkun for couples. We, people should really be tested before they get married. 
And the tests that they have don't cover all of the sicknesses. So sometimes couples get married, they, they didn't test, or they, even if they did test, the test didn't, didn't test for everything. And when they find out that, uh, that they may have children who will have these diseases, so they have no choice, they'll have to have this uh, procedure. It's very unclear what the moment of death is. The Mishnah tells us that a goses is kechai l'chol dvarb. A goses means a person who is about to die. In Shulchan Aruch, they quote, based on Gemaris, that a goses is going to die within three days. So some Rabbanim feel that that's a definition of a goses. One who's going to die within three days is called a goses. Uh, so if a person is hooked up to machines, they say he's going to live on for months. So he's not a goses yet. Uh, the simple shot in the Gemara is not like that. Most of the Rabbanim do not accept that. That's the definition of goseis. Goseis means a person will die. After I die, then you go back three days earlier and you say that three days earlier because I was sick, so I was a goseis. The most do not agree with that. The Rambam in his commentary on Mishnayis Saholus, when the Mishnah says that a goseis is not Natami, a goseis kechai, and if he takes a net, it's docker, the netter is binding, and the children have to pay the money. He's not considered kemes. So the Rambam, I don't know Arabic, so I can't read uh, the Rambam's commentary, but we all use the Hebrew translation. So in the Hebrew translation, the way they translated it, the Rambam uh, writes that the Tanoim understood that death is a process. It has a beginning and it has an end. So the beginning of the process of death, the beginning of the Tahalich HaMoves, is uh, that's when the person is a gosis. So that's the question, when is a person considered a gosis? At what point? That's very unclear. So there's a, a religious doctor, many of you may remember him from the yeshiva, Dr. Ringel. I think he's the brother-in-law of Rabbi Yossi Adler, if I'm not mistaken. So Rabbi uh, Dr. Ringel is a very learned fellow. So he sent his shayla to Ramosha Feinsteiner, to Rabbi Shleim Zalman Orebach. What's the definition of a ghost? They both said the same thing. We don't know. We're not sure exactly what the definition. You have to know what is the... When is the end of the process? If you know what the end of the process is, then you know what's the beginning of the process. If you say death is a process, so what is the definition of death? When is the moment of death? So a suggestion was made by the uh, world of medicine, by some of the doctors, really the suggestion was made by the insurance companies. Insurance companies didn't want to keep on paying so much money. So they were trying to... uh, Make a cutoff point. Once a person died already, so the insurance doesn't have to pay to keep him alive. He's dead. So they were pushing, we should declare the person as dead before it's going to cost them uh, fortunes of money. So they came up with this idea, and some of the doctors uh, supported the idea that uh, when a person, when the patient is brain dead, so then he's considered dead. We always follow what the doctors say when they give you a description of the case. But if you're talking about what's the definition of death, that's not a medical question. That's a theological question. That's a philosophical question. So the doctors are not entitled to more of an opinion than anybody else. The doctors are not necessarily philosophers or theologians. So you have to, if you want to get a halachic definition of death, you have to give some definition that the tanoim would be aware of. The brain death, about the stem of the brain is dead. The tanoim for sure didn't know anything about that. That's something the world of medicine didn't know that till very recently. So the overwhelming majority of the Rabbonim in the world who passed Kanshailas did not accept brain death. Rabbi 
Noivet, Rabbi Yeshua Noivet, who passed away a few years ago, the author of Shmer Shabbos Kehuchosa, was a close Talmud of Rabbi Shleim Zalmud Oyabach. And on every page in his Sefer, Shmer Shabbos Kehuchosa, he quotes from Rabbi Shleim Zalman. So when Rabbi Shleim Zalman passed away, he delivered a Hespid, which he printed later, and he writes that the most aggravating thing in Rabbi Oyabach's life was the dispute that they had about what his opinion was about brain death. And Reb Shlomo Zalman said, I'm still alive. What are they putting words into my mouth? What are they saying things in my name? I never agreed to the brain death. He never agreed. He was very aggravated why they said things in his name. So in that Hespid, he writes like that, that the overwhelming majority of the Rabbonim, who Paschum Shilas, most of the Rabbonim were not getting involved in the Shana. Those who were in the field of Paschum Shilas, the overwhelming majority did not agree with the, it's a very small minority, those who, Accept the brain death as a definition of death. So what is the definition of death? And when can you establish is the beginning of the process of death, the beginning of the talich hamavis, that you should consider the person as a goses. So the discussion, years ago they never knew anything about brain death. So the uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein wrote a tshuva in his first volume of collected uh, tshuvas. Uh, Shaila, uh, if a person is a righty, and he would normally put tefillin on his left arm, and he had a stroke, and the left arm is paralyzed. So this was a big dispute. 80 years ago, 90 years ago in America, the rabbanim was pilpiling, can a person, can a man fulfill a mitzvah tefillin if he puts the tefillin on the left arm, and the left arm is paralyzed. So Moshe Feinstein says, absolutely yes. How does he know? Because his father had a stroke a few weeks before he died, and his father continued to wear tefillin. Okay, his father is a big tamachach. But what's the source for your father? So he tells you what the source is, but he knows that's the din because that's what his father did. And then he said, how did my father know? So he quotes a Gemara in Pcheris. Okay, he shows. And he says, if the left arm would have become, it would develop gangrene and there wouldn't be any blood circulation at all, that's a definition of death on that limb. If there's no blood circulating, then that limb is dead. If there's blood circulating, just the nervous system is not functioning, so then the arm is alive, and you can fulfill the mitzvah of tefillin. Where did he get this definition of life and death of a limb that is based on blood circulation? So he quotes a Gemara in Bechorus, in the middle of Bechorus, that in the yeshivas, they never read that part. The, the Mishnahis there are a little boring. They talk about when is a koyin considered a balmum, and it can't be makar karbonus in the base amigdash, and when is a behemoth considered a balasmum, and you can't be makar of the behemoth as a korban. A koyin is a balmum, or the behemoth is a balasmum, so you can't, it's not kosher le karbonus. So in the middle of the discussion, it's boring gemaras, and you have to know a little uh, anatomy, you have to know a lot of anatomy. So the yeshiva bachm usually skip those, uh, those three prokim in the middle of the mesicht. So Moshe Feinstein knew all the pages, even the pages that everybody else skips. And, uh, and he says, that's the definition of life is blood circulation. And really, it says it in the Chumash. It says in the Chumash, ki hadam hu hanefesh, that the blood circulation is what keeps organisms alive. Somehow in the world of medicine, this wasn't discovered until very recently. But we have dinim and nigemara based on that assumption. If a person causes bleeding on Shabbos, the Gemara says, the Mishnah tells us that it's some kind of a malacha or another. What malacha is one in violation of if he goes bleeding? So there are different opinions, and the accepted opinion is the way Taisus says, that it's a violation of Natilis Neshama because the Pasuk says, Ki adam the blood circulation keeps the, 
organism alive. There, Moshe Feinstein has another tshuva where he's discussing a little bit the moment of death before, before they came to this idea of um, a brain death. So the Gemara says, if you're not sure, how did the Hebrew Kaddisha decide that the patient is dead, that they should put on the Tachrichim, wrap him up and bury him? How, how do they decide that he's dead? So the minig is, if he stopped breathing for 20, 30 minutes, then we assume that he's dead. Where they get that from? When he stops breathing. So that's based on the Pesach in Parshas Noach. When the Mabal occurred, so the Pesach says all the animals died, all human beings and all the animals died. And the expression used by the Pesach is, All the living animals that breathe died because they all drowned because of the water of the Mabal. So because the Pesach says, So that's why we decide that as long as the person is still breathing, he's alive. When he stops breathing, he's dead. So Ramosha Feinstein writes that there were those who thought that if a person uh, has a trach, he's not breathing through his nose, and the Pesach says, has to be breathing through his nose. So there were those who decided, some Rabbanim, uh, that uh, if a person has a trach and is being through his, through his uh, neck instead of through the nose, he's considered dead and you can wrap him up and bury him. So Moshe Feinstein writes, that's utterly ridiculous. He doesn't have to breathe through his nose. He says, is the nose considered, the Talmud has a concept, of a vital organ and the non-vital organs. Let's say people in the army, people in accidents, they lose arms, they lose legs, they lose fingers, they lose an eye, you lose an ear. I remember there was a man diving in my father's shul for years. He was missing a whole ear. He was in Hebron when they had the riots. And the Arabs cut off his ear. So he came to shul every day. He had no ear. But he survived. He lived to a ripe old age. The ear is not from the vital organs. There are vital organs. There are non-vital organs. So Moshe Feinstein writes, that's a joke to say that one is breathing through the drake is not considered alive because the Pesach says, Nishma Surah That's not the definition of death. So that's a similar dover. If the, if the person was sick and he finally stops breathing for, for 20 minutes or so, 30 minutes, then we assume he's probably dead. But what's the definition of death? So the um, Rambam in the Moran Ruchim quotes from Galen, who was a uh, non-Jewish uh, doctor from the days of the Tanoim, I guess. Uh, Galen writes that they have in historical, in, med- in medical history, there was a person who stopped breathing for three days, and then he came to later on. So one of the Rabbanim sent a letter to the Chassam Seifer, Rab Tzvihir Shchayis, Maritz sent a letter to the Chassam Seifer. Um, several countries in Europe uh, during his lifetime, in the middle uh, 1800s, early middle 1800s, some of the countries still have this law, they have a law in Europe that you can't bury a person who died unless you, until you wait 72 hours after they signed the death certificate because maybe the doctors made a mistake because uh, every so often, one out of uh, a million, I guess, one out of 10 million, a person will faint and the doctors will misjudge and they'll think that he's dead and they'll bury him. And then he'll wake up at his funeral and say, what's going on? What are they delivering a husband? I'm still alive over here. So the, so the several countries... 
pass such laws that you're not allowed to bury anybody until 72 hours go by after the death certificate is, is signed by the doctor to make sure that you're not burying a living person. So the Maritzchai is sent, corresponded with the Chassam Seifer, that maybe we should follow that then usually there's a din it's a mitzvah to bury the person the same day that he dies before the Shkia. And if you can't succeed in burying him before the Shkia, so you should try to bury him at night before Alois HaShachah the next day. I don't know, today they have unions. They probably may not let you bury him at night. The unions will, will uh, pick it. They won't let you do it. Okay, that's another problem. Um, so the, so the Shiloh was asked of the, of the Chassam Seifer, maybe we should go along with the Deen of the Malchusa, with the law of the country, uh, and we shouldn't bury, we should go against the Din and the Torah, we shouldn't bury anybody till 72 hours, because the Gemara records such stories. The Gemara says there is such a concern, that sometimes we'll think the person is not alive, and he really is alive, he just fainted. So the Chassam Seifer got very upset with that, and he said that's utterly ridiculous, we have a tradition, after the person was sick and he died, and he stopped breathing, so then we assume that he's dead. That's a rare case, but the Ramah quoted from Galen that there was someone who stopped breathing for three days that he came to. That's a very rare case, one out of a million, one out of several million, ten million, whatever. You don't have to be concerned about that. That's utterly ridiculous. Breathing is not the definition of life and death. If the person stopped breathing, it's a sin that something else happened, that he's dead. What happened? So the Pashtas is that the blood is no longer circulating to the vital organs. When the vital organs are dead, so then the person is dead. So that's the question, how many vital organs are there and how many of them have to be dead that you declare the patient as dead? So the, the Gemara has dinam about vital organs. Several, several halachas depend on which organs are vital, which not. The Ramam always has the, his reading in the Mishnayis, doesn't correspond to what we have. The Ramam always has the same three vital organs, the brain and the heart and the, uh, and the liver. There are more than three vital organs. The eyes and the ears and the fingers and the toes and the feet, these are not vital organs, but there are more than three vital organs. So does the Ramam think that Alpi Halacha, that Halacha only recognizes these three vital organs? Or was it Lavdavke? Whatever the doctors will ascertain as a vital organ has a din of Evashan Shamat Leibah, has a din of a vital organ, that's unclear. And then it's also unclear how many vital organs that you have to have should be dead. It means that the blood should be no longer be circulating to that vital organ in an irreversible fashion. That's why Moshe Feinstein quotes from the Gemara, in an irreversible fashion. So how many vital organs have to be dead? I would have thought if, if one of them is dead, you need all the vital organs to be alive. One vital organ is no longer being supplied with blood, I would have assumed the person is dead. But apparently that's not the case. Either you need all the vital organs should be dead, that the patient should be considered dead, or Ruba Kukula, maybe the rave of them should should no longer be supplied with, uh, with blood. Once you have one of the vital organs is no longer being supplied with blood, is no longer kept alive, that's considered the beginning of the process of death. That's considered gosis. So this is relevant for kohanim. There are different halachas that depend on gosis. One of the dinim is relevant. Kohanim are not permitted. The last job is we read Parsha Samar. Kohanim are not allowed to be in touch with a dead body. And the, and the Shulchan Aruch Paskans for Ashkenazim, there's a machlekes between Ashkenazim and Sephardim had a Paskan on this issue, is a claim prohibited to enter into the room where there's a ghost. Let's say the cancer ward. Cancer ward is always someone who's holding by the end, who's, who's already a ghost. So is a claim permitted to visit oil ha 
So Ashkenazim paskan la'alochet based on two girsas in the Gemara. It's a dispute between Abayah and Rava. Whenever there's a dispute between Abayah and Rava, those who learned in Yeshivas know the din is always like Rava, except for six cases, the Yal Kigam. So this is not one of the Yal Kigam, but the two readings, the two girsas in the Gemara, which way did Rava say, which way did Abayah say? So the girsa the Ashkenazim have is, the Ramon Shulchanov paskans, that the Kayin is not permitted to come in contact with the Gosa. So that's one issue. When do you declare the person as a Gosa? So the Pashtas is, when one of the vital organs is already no longer being supplied with blood. What else is a difference? So the Paskim say, once the, the um, process of death has already set in, long, there is no longer a mitzvah to extend the person's life. He's already in the process of dying. So you let him die in peace. You don't have to go do heroic efforts to keep on extending his life. He's holding by dying. He's a goises. Uh, a lot of people think that the Jewish position always is. You always push to extend life. So uh, the Chazanish had a brother-in-law who was known as the Stipeler. And uh, he, after the Chazanish passed away, said so they published a collection of letters of the Chazanish. Chazanish had a beautiful style of Hebrew. He had an original style of Hebrew, very different. Like Rabbi Salvechik had a very different style of Hebrew. Not at all the same as the Chazanish, but a very different style of Hebrew. So the Chazanish's letters, even if you don't like what he's saying, but such a beautiful Hebrew, it's very flowery, very beautiful. The stipel, his brother-in-law, did not have a fancy Hebrew. He had a very rough style of Hebrew. But because after the Chazanish passed away, they published a collection of his letters. After his brother-in-law passed away, they published a collection of his letters as well. So he has in the first collection the three, the three thin volumes. So they have in the first collection of letters, somebody asked him, uh, what's the Jewish position about extending life when one is holding by the end? So he writes, when we were young children, it was ingrained in our minds that the Jewish position always is to extend life as long as possible. Then we got a little older, we learned the Gemara, and we see from the Gemara, it's not so. And then we got a little older, we learned Aran and Adarim, and then we learned Shulchan Aruch, and you see it's not so. He doesn't tell you what the din is, but he just says, it's just not so. It's not always so. Sometimes we have to push on to extend life. Sometimes, if uh, he, do, he doesn't give you the klolem at all, sometimes we do not. The, all the, the letters of the stipula don't pass in any shyness. The stipula was uh, in, in learning, he didn't pass in any shyness. Chazanish used to pass in shyness. Stipula just uh, spoke in learning, but he didn't give any maskonis. So, this says in the commentaries on the Shochanach, once a person is already in, in the Talich Hamavis, once already the process of death has already set in on the person, he's a gosais then there's no longer a mitzvah to extend his life. A lot of times uh, the children feel that they'll never forgive themselves if they don't try everything for the parents. And if the parents would know, and they hide from the parents what the condition is, they don't tell the parents what the sickness is, they don't tell the parents about the side effects of the treatment that they're going to have. So sometimes the children are praying that the parents should already die. They don't want to keep on going to the hospital every day. They want to get the big Yerusha. And the parents are reading up all the money when they're sick at the end. So some children would uh, pray and wish that they could uh, terminate their parents' life earlier. And others will feel guilty if they don't try, they don't try everything. This is not really right on the part of the children to make either decision based on their own considerations. When one is at the end of life, so the decision has to be made by the patient himself. It can't be made by the, by the rabbi. 
It all depends on what the patient uh, chooses. So in the Shulchan Aruch, the commentaries quote the Pesach from the Radvaz. Let's say a person is young, he's only 20 years old, and he develops uh, gangrene in the leg. So they're going to they say, well, cut off the leg, we'll amputate the leg, we'll give you a plastic leg, and you'll be able to live till uh, the age of 120 and be able to function normally, we'll have everything under control, we've done it a thousand times. And the person says, at the age of 20, I'd rather die than live on with a plastic leg. So the Shulchan Aruch says that the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch say that that's an utterly ridiculous choice and you're not allowed to listen to the patient and you do the surgery against his wishes. In America, it's against the law. You have to have consent of the patient for everything, but uh, if Eretz Yisrael, when Eretz Yisrael someday will be under uh, a religious government, so then we'll be following the din that it says in Shulchan Aruch that sometimes the patient is not entitled to, if he has an utterly ridiculous uh, suggestion, he wants to die at the young age of uh, 20. He can live on another 100 years and lead a normal life, so we don't listen to him. But a lot of times you have a patient who's already uh, 90 years old, and they suffered a lot during their life. And uh, you tell them they have a certain sickness, and they get, there's a way to treat it and to extend their life. They say, we've had enough already. Enough gemuchit. We don't want to live on and suffer more. So just leave me alone and don't do this uh, treatment. So uh, if, it's, if the idea that the patient is suggesting is, uh, would have been shared with a significant percentage of the population, not utterly ridiculous, 5%, 10% of the population would choose, leave me alone, let me die in peace already. So then you have to, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein writes, you have to honor the wishes of the patient. Sometimes, whenever the choice of the patient is utterly ridiculous, in either direction, let's say the patient says, don't amputate the leg, I'd rather die than live on. So that says in Shulchan Aruch, you're not allowed to listen, listen to the patient if it's, uh, if 99.99% of the people in the world will have that situation, they would say, amputate the leg and, and let me live on. So you're not allowed to listen to the patient. And the reverse is also true. Let's say a patient is so sick and suffering so much that uh, the overwhelming 99% of the population would say, let me die in peace already. And this patient says, no. His religious, his religious convictions are that he has to, have to push on and he has to suffer more. So you don't listen to him either. You're not allowed to listen to him. Whenever the patient chooses a choice that's utterly ridiculous, that 99% of the population would not go along with that, he has no right to choose that. That's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But if it's a significant percentage of the population, would, would choose, let me, let me die or let me live on. So then you have to honor the wishes of the, of the patient. What if the patient is in a coma or something like that and, uh, and you can't consult the patient? So Moshe Feinstein thinks we should consult the next of kin. We, and the next of kin, the children or whatever, the spouse should make the decision based on what they think the patient would have wanted, not based on what their feelings are, what they think. They think we'll never forgive ourselves unless we give the parents all the treatments or uh, they want the parents to die already, that's, that's not proper. They have to try to figure out what would the parents have chosen, what would the parents have wanted. If the patient chooses that he'd like to die, he had enough already, so now they have uh, the concept of hospice. Uh, not all the hospices are the same. A lot of the hospices will just let you die. They won't treat you at all. That's not proper at all. That's not proper at all. You let the, the patient doesn't want to live on with heroic measures, but uh, he, wants to, he wants the body to be clean. He doesn't want to suffer more than is uh, absolutely necessary. There are, there are better there are better hospices and worse hospices. So you have to, 
everyone has to write uh, a living will and they have to choose which rabbis should be consulted when the decisions are made and the children have to pick a hospice that's, uh, that treats the parents in a proper fashion. They're not all on the same level of, uh, of treatment that they give to the patients. But this is, this is what the stipler wrote, that when we matured and we learned more Gemara and we learned Shulchan Aruch, we came to the realization that the Jewish position is not always that you push to extend life uh, more. Sometimes you let the patient die in peace. You're not allowed to do mercy killing. We don't allow mercy killing. The Pasuk says, if a person kills his beloved brother, miyadi shachiv, what do you mean? Why should a person kill his brother? Usually there's brotherly love. So it means, the, the Mepharshim explained that that's referring to mercy killing. So we don't permit uh, mercy killing, but uh, passive euthanasia we do permit. You just don't, you don't uh, treat the patient for what he has. And mainly he's going to die. There's no mitzvah always to extend life. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and Rabbi Shleim Zalman Oyabach, independently of each other, both came up with the same idea. Not everyone agrees to this. They were both of the opinion that intravenous and oxygen you always have to give. Even if the patient says, I'd rather die, let me die in peace. So you don't do heroic measures, you don't do other things. But intravenous and oxygen you always have to give. Not everyone agrees to that. Rabbi Shleim Zalman has a son-in-law who is still alive, who is a very prominent Talmud Chochem. His name is also Zalman, Rabbi Zalman Nechemya Goldberg, big Pesach in Eretz Yisrael. He didn't agree with his father-in-law. So that's, uh, so that's a question. Rabbi Zalman was of the opinion that uh, you're not obligated, if a person is holding by the end, you're not obligated to do heroic measures, but, uh, but uh, normal things you should do. The upshot of the whole story is that from the beginning to the end, you have to have a, a, an Orthodox rabbi who knows all the dinim, and who's sensitive to the situation, and you have to consult on all the issues, on the abortion, on the artificial insemination, the beginning of life, the end of life, and it's not right to be machmar amekel. You have to follow whatever the din says, and the children shouldn't feel guilty. The Rabbanu created the world. We're all going to die. Everybody dies sooner or later, and when you're coming, when you come to the end, so there are rules and regulations, just like the dinim, how to lead your life. There are dinim, how you let a person die in peace. We should all be healthy. We should all live on Mary Esmeshon. Thank you.